Usually, a person who does not believe in hell does not believe in heaven. Ask them if they do. Then inform them that only through the Bible do we learn of heaven and hell. If one is true, so is the other. Number seven, God would never send his children to hell. I remember this was a, a line that was used by a Jehovah's Witness. I was knocking on doors one day, and the Jehovah's Witnesses told me, says, Sir, don't you believe the Bible? I says, Yes. Well, don't you believe that God loves his children? I says, Yes, ma'am, I, I believe that. She was setting me up, but I wasn't prepared, but they didn't get me anyway. She says, Do you think that a wonderful, kind, loving God would cast his children into a fire? I says, no, ma'am, he wouldn't, and he doesn't. See, that's one of their main openings on how to get into your home to have a Bible study. And they use this, ma'am, if you had a fire in your fireplace and you had a child and you loved your child, would you cast your child in that fire? And a parent would say, of course not. Well, neither would God. Can we come in and share with you? And because, see, they don't believe in hell. They don't believe there's a hell. And you and I, we say we believe there is a hell. Then that teaching alone is the reason that we want to get people to trust Christ as Savior. So every person we get to trust the Lord to go to heaven is a person that doesn't go to hell. So that's why it's so important to keep this in mind. All right, look at number seven, the first part of it. You are so right, none of his children will ever be cast into hell. But you do need to have maybe an explanation on two that he will send to hell and cast into hell. The next statement, tell them that the Bible teaches that God will cast the angels into hell. He says, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. He's also talking about the judgment that God's going to bring upon the world. And then the next judgment upon the world itself and upon the people that are lost. So that's why it's so important for you to not only know what God won't do to the Christian, but what he will do to the angels are going to be cast into hell. And also the lost people are going to be cast into hell. Look at the next statement. Tell them that the Bible teaches that God will cast the lost into hell. He said, and whosoever, that means anybody, See, this verse is similar to the one like in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth, whosoever believeth should not perish, that means go to hell, but have everlasting life, that means go to heaven. So whosoever believes goes there, and whosoever does not believe, the Bible says here, whosoever was not found written in the book of life, that's the Lamb's book of life, cast into the lake of fire. Now, Betty's dad explained these verses to me like I've told you many times when I was 18 years old. And these verses and his talking to me the way he did is the reason that years later I still have that as my foundation and the main motivation for my whole life. That's still the reason. Do you know why I want to have a basketball team? So kids can play basketball. No, it just gives me a chance to get them to come to church. It's leverage. I'm just being honest with you. Ain't that right? It's leverage. And some of them know that. It's that I get to make you come to church because if I didn't, you wouldn't come. 
And I want you to come because I want to teach you something. And then when we have a basketball practice, I always start with what and end with what. Always start with prayer, always end with prayer. I get a chance to say a few more words. It's only an opportunity. I don't care anything about that basketball team. It's only an opportunity. It's an, a door. It's a way to spend some time with the kids. You know what I enjoy? I enjoy spending time with the kids. I enjoy it. I love it. I don't care that much about playing basketball. I just didn't watch y'all do it. But it's an opportunity to spend time with the kids. I don't mind, you know, Tim and John, you know, working with the teenagers. I love it. I like it. I like it after I get through and some kid comes up and asks me a question. I get to answer his question. I, I thrive on it. I love it. It'll sit down and some girl come up and she got a question about something. I enjoy, like last week, trying to teach her why you should do right. I want to do that. I, I like that. I, I like it. I want to affect your life for eternity. Not just this little lifetime we have right here. And so the only way you can do that is you've got to spend time in people's lives. Some people don't want to get into body's life. I, I do. I, I like that. I want to get to know people. Spend time with you. But anyway, back to your notes here. Get this one. Yes, God says he will cast the angels that sinned and those that reject Christ. But no scripture, and you ought to underline this in your notes here. No scripture teaches that God will cast his children into hell. Will God ever send one of his children to hell? No. Once you've trusted Christ as your Savior, no child of God from that point forward can ever go to hell. God can never send his child to hell. He fathered you, and you are perfect because you're born of God. God is perfect. He had no sinful nature. He cannot pass a sinful nature onto his child. The sinful nature you have was passed onto you in your flesh from your father, not God. So the new birth, when you trusted Christ, you're born of God. The new birth, born of God, God didn't have a sinful nature. He had a divine nature. That's why now you have the Holy Spirit that lives within you. And the Holy Spirit within you is having a God-like nature, divine nature. So God can't never sin you because the new birth see, can't sin. There's nothing you can do in the future that could ever send you to hell. That's grace. That's the best news I ever heard in my life. Because if you stop and think about it, if a man could lose his salvation, we would. If you could lose your salvation because of doing something wrong, you have. <laughs> You're already lost. You ain't got a ghost of a chance. If you can get saved and didn't do something wrong to lose it, you'd have lost it. You didn't keep it one iota of a second. Nothing. You can't. You can't save yourself. You can't keep yourself saved. That's why this is such good news here. Now look at the next statement. He says what he means, means exactly what he says. He loves us with an everlasting love. It's not his desire that anyone perish. Look in 2 Peter 3, 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. These are simple verses that you maybe have heard a thousand times. But you need to underline these verses in your Bible. Underline all the verses that I bold here. You put them in your Bible and you underline them. And then you memorize those verses. Memorize them. And if you can't memorize all of them, well, work on a couple of them. But spend time with the Bible memorizing Scripture. 
I remember when I first went to Bible college, I, said, I didn't memorize scripture. I didn't even know the books of the Bible. I, I, I barely I had enough knowledge to know there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. But I didn't know that until after I was 18 years old because I, I didn't know that. But I remember we had a, a PE class and every day in, we go into PE class, you had to memorize a verse. You memorize a verse, sometimes two verses. Well, that's okay, but you had four or five classes every day. <laughs> you got to memorize verses for every class. So you're memorizing, you know, five, ten verses every day. Every day. Well, it came time for an exam, and uh, Ray Stanford says, um, these are the verses that I want you to memorize. He gave us a list of all the verses that we had from the very first day of school to the last day before the exam. He required us to know every verse that he had given us. There was over 100 verses, 100 verses. And I had to memorize over 100 verses for, listen, I'm working a full-time job. I work 12, 13 hours a day. I was going to school full-time. I averaged two and a half hours of sleep a night. That was my average for the first two years, two and a half hours. Think about it. And I never fell asleep in class. And I'm trying to find out, when do I have time to memorize all these verses before an exam? And not only that, the next day we had another test in 1 Corinthians and we had over 100 verses in that class. So now I find out I've got over 200 verses to memorize in two days. Have you ever memorized a verse, you know, like at camp, but the next day you don't even have any, any clue that verse or where it's found? But you can do it for that moment. Yeah, you try it with 100 verses. Did you know what? Wrote down every verse in order from Genesis all the way through to Revelation that I had to memorize, all hundred of them. And while I was on the job, while I was on the job running a laminating machine, I had my verses and I'm trying to memorize verses. And I had to get to where I could, I didn't want to lose no work. I want to put out the same production that I was doing before. So I created a few things on this here laminate machine. Did a pretty good job. They even gave me a little bonus one time. And, uh, but anyway, I memorized all 100 verses one night. I got a 98 the next day. I missed something. I don't know what it was. The next day I had the other test, over another 100 verses. I memorized all 100. And he may only ask you three or four verses. You just don't know which ones. And yet you can fail the whole exam because you didn't memorize those verses. So you had to memorize all the verses because you didn't know which verses he was going to ask. Isn't that cruel? Cruel. But it's fun. And you can memorize the Word of God. I want you to memorize the Scriptures. 2 Peter chapter 3, look in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. That means He suffers long. Toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, to a change of mind. God wants every person to change their mind and trust the Lord. And he talks about before this how he overflowed the world with water, and the next time he's going to burn it all up by fire. But he says, God is patient. Why is God waiting 2,000 years? Because more people born, more people have opportunities to hear the gospel, more people trust the Lord, more people go to heaven. You see, a lot more people go to hell too. I know. But God, I guess, is looking at the end result of how many more people will actually be in heaven. You know, he says the, the road to destruction is wide. Broad is the way. But the road that leads to life is narrow. 
and few there be that find it. That means that there's a good possibility there'll be more people in hell than there'll ever be in heaven. But it is so important for you to know Christ as Savior, love the Lord, and love the lost, and realizing that we need to be patient, and we should not be willing that any person should perish. Just think for this moment. Here's the Bible. You read this verse. God is not willing that any person should perish. Do you want to be like the Lord? If you want to be like the Lord, then you should not be willing that any person should perish. You shouldn't want anybody to perish. When he makes the statement in the book of Timothy, it says that God says that he wants everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth, that every man may be saved. Then if you want to be like the Lord, then that frame of mind, see, is to permeate your thinking. You should want every man to come to the knowledge of the truth. You want everybody to be saved. So that means there's not one person you want to go to hell. You want everybody to go to heaven. Because you're learning how to think the way God wants you to think. So important. Look at the next statement. The scripture that I've got here in italic. He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed. See, people are already lost. They're already condemned. There's nothing that you will say or do that's going to condemn anybody. They're already condemned. You're not sending people to hell. They're already lost. God can use you to get them to heaven, but he doesn't use you to get them to hell. They're already going there. But God may use you as a tool to explain to an individual how they could have eternal life. I was up there in Hammond, Indiana one year, back in 1972, 3, 4, and 5. I went for five straight years. And I watched the youth director, get this, I watched the youth director at Hammond First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana. His name was Dave Hiles. He was 17 years old. In their youth group, he ran about an average of about 800 on an average Sunday, 800 teenagers. But they had high days of four and 5,000 teenagers. That was 30-something years ago, 32 years ago. That's a lot of teenagers, ain't it? It's uh, kind of like I've told you before. This, um, this rooster kind of got lost, and uh, he was going down the road, and he went into this other farmer's yard, and that farmer had some ostriches in his fence area there. And, but he, he walked in there, and he, he saw the eggs, saw those great big old ostrich eggs. Man, he beat a path back down the road. He went in there and told those other hens. He says, look, I, I know y'all are doing a good job, but again, you ought to see what they're doing down the road. Sometimes you think you're doing a great job until you see what somebody else is doing. And I remember when I went up there one day, me and Al Safford. We got there in time to go sewing with some of the teenagers. And the problem was that so many of their teenagers, they knew the Roman road. They knew all the scriptures like we did. They know them. But they didn't have that little tool with a wallet illustration. They didn't have that. And so we were taking around a couple of the kids and they would go to this door and then another door and they'd come back and their head was hung low. And I said, what's the matter? It says they wanted to get saved, but they didn't want to pray. They wanted to be saved, but they didn't want to pray. They didn't know what to do with them then. Because their only way of leading somebody to the Lord was to get them to pray. So I turned around in the seat and I said, look, can I show y'all something? I said, you already know the scriptures. Let me just show you a tool. And I showed them a little wallet illustration. And he said, man, that is fantastic. 
and says, go up here to this school. And it was letting out. I don't know what they was doing, but they let out. And there were kids everywhere. But one of their rules is, is the adults have to stay in the car. Only the kids get to go and talk. So we stayed in the car, me and Al Sapper. And we watched. And they went up there, and it wasn't long before the girl put her purse down, and she had something in her hand, and she was going there. And then she was going to somebody else doing the same thing. And I forgot, I think it was either seven or eight that they led to the Lord that night. They were ecstatic. And I thought, wouldn't it be neat if you could teach all 800 how to do that? How many more people could trust the Lord? But you got to do what you can with what you have, and you don't know who you're going to train that's going to influence somebody. Did you know that this is just a scenario that might happen, may not? But let's say that uh, little girl, Kayla, she goes over there to her school, and she, she does the little wallet illustration with the kids. And the guy that heads up the Fellowship of Christian Athletes there saw it and liked it and was very impressed with what she did. Now, what if he learns that and then teaches a couple others that teaches thousands, and all of a sudden, all of kids in the ministries that they have and all the schools across America begin to explain it a little bit simpler. And in multitudes trust the Lord, all because of one little 13-year-old girl. You say, that can't happen. Yes, it can. You have no idea how God is going to say or do something. Uh, from one little thing like that. I remember whenever I was down in San Antonio, I was speaking at Faith Bible Church, Lee Patton's church. Dr. Curtis Hudson was in the study, and I didn't even know he was there yet. And I was talking to the school, the kids that come. And so while I was talking to them, he was in the study, but he was listening over the intercom system to what I was saying. I was speaking on the clarity of the gospel, repentance, lordship, salvation, you name it. I said what it was, what it is, and all that. And I didn't know this, but he had talked to my wife, talked to Betty. And he had talked to Lee and got a copy of it, talked to Betty, and got a picture from Betty. And it wasn't a couple weeks later, the sword of the Lord came out that goes all over the world. And on the front page was my picture. It came to the house, and I got a sword of the Lord. And there it was. Was I shocked? I was shocked. A little sermon that I was giving to high school kids, somebody heard put it in newspaper, and then it was sent to me. And then he sent me a letter later. And the letter, he told me, he says, there had been 41 people who have wrote in in the month of August that trusted Christ as their Savior from that, reading that sermon. And he said, that's just from that month. I don't know what happened about the other four or five months before this one. I was just that one. This is four or five months later. From that one sermon that I preached in a little old school that somebody just happened to record, and we didn't even know that person was going to do that. And he had a copy of it. So you don't know the impact you're going to make at any given moment. Or if I preach it on the radio, here was, here was Dr. Stanford. He, he had one guy that comes down there to play tennis. But before the guy left, Ray gave him a PE book, and that's what the guy was looking for. Well, Dr. Farouk, all the way from... Egypt, now was up in Toronto, goes down there and he plays tennis. He's retired and made his money, and Ray reached him. Got clear on the gospel. From that, he goes up to Canada and goes on TV all over Canada. And then he just finished his little episode over there in the Middle East on radio and TV, 87 years of age. All because 
he reached one guy down there that opened up all these other doors. So you never know at what point somebody's going to open up a whole bunch of doors for you and you get a chance to influence. Be faithful wherever you are, doing whatever you can do at that moment and let God do these things for you. Look at the next statement, number eight. What about all the hypocrites in the church? You ever heard that one? Boy, that has really been thrown up in my face. What about all the hypocrites in the church? Well, you know, I actually believe that every person in some way is a little hypocritical. I'm probably a little hypocritical myself. You know, being a hypocrite actually comes from those who work in plays. Hypocrite. It's a person who's pretending to be something that they're not. They're players. They're actors. And so somebody who gets upon the stage and acts and pretends that they're something that they're not. That's not really who they are, but they're just pretending. Well, there's people in life that do the same thing. Have you ever pretended that you're happy and you weren't happy? You ever pretend that you were really hurt and you weren't really hurt? You ever pretend that you were mad and you weren't really mad? But you pretend to be? You know, for whatever the reasons can be that would be advantageous to you. Well, what about if you here you are and you're a Christian and you say, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. If you say you love the Lord, Christ says, if you love me, serve me. And you'd be surprised what Christian says, I hate God. I hate God. Most Christians don't say, I hate God. They say, I love God. But the way they live doesn't say that. Are they hypocritical? If you say something and you're not, are you just a little bit of hypocritical in that area? So if you say, I love God, but I don't serve him. I love the lost, and I don't want nobody to go to hell, and I love them. Well, would you witness to them? That's the rough part. Doing nothing about it. In every area, I would say that we are probably just a little bit of hypocritical. I am, and I would venture to say you might be in some area. Not in every area. Just here and there a little bit, you know. But look at the statement here. This fact certainly must grieve the Lord. It prompted him to tell Nicodemus, a very religious man, except a man be born again, he will never enter the kingdom of God. See, there's a possibility that Nicodemus was a little hypocritical. He thought he was righteous because of the way he lived, yet he knew nothing about the second birth. He thought he was going to go to heaven, and uh, Jesus had to let him know, you're not going. This is really Jesus rebuking him. He's answering the question, yeah, but he's rebuking him. So, I um, said a few things down here. Look at the next statement. God warns us about judging others because with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. It's so easy. Now, look at me just a It is very easy to see your sin when you see it in another person. You don't hardly see it when it's in you. But if you see somebody else doing exactly the same thing you do, you pick it up just like that and become critical. And that's why some people are very, well, have you ever heard somebody say, before you judge me, clean up your own backyard? It means, like the old Indian proverb, before you judge me, white man, walk in my moccasins for a moon. In other words, if you can get that splinter or two before out of your eye, you can see clearly to get the splinter out of somebody else's eye. It doesn't mean you don't have the splinter. It's that you, had a, you, you got one too. And yours is bigger than his. In other words, your problem is bigger than the person's problem you're trying to point out. 
And it's so easy for us to set in judgment upon everybody else, but we don't sometimes see ourselves. It's not kind of like the guys playing basketball. Somebody else can sit on the sideline and see what they're doing wrong. But when you're in the midst of it, and you can't see it. You can't see it. You can't see yourself all the time. So God may bless you by sending some people to rebuke you or just to point out some things. Keep it in mind. Don't walk around with your chips on your shoulder. That means I double dog dare you to knock that off. But there, there, there's just people in the world that's got a few little chips on their shoulders and they just dare you to say something. Don't be defensive. Don't be defensive. Don't always have to defend yourself. The, the next two points are very important. They're very important. I get to it. I'll be the first to agree that there are hypocrites in the church. And there are hypocrites where you work. At the restaurant, gas stations, grocery stores, neighbors, and you ought to underline this little statement. And uh, maybe where you live. Do you think that even in your home there might be a, a hypocrite? At times, we probably are. There's times when I'm sure Betty thinks, you hypocrite. <laughs> you say something and you didn't follow through with it. You promised and you didn't keep your word. We are human. We're people. We fail. We make mistakes. You do that. But should any mistake that somebody else makes be the reason for turning against God? No, still do right. Look at the next statement. Do not use the hypocrisy of people as an excuse to justify your reasons for turning on a perfectly righteous and holy God. Be careful in allowing this type of question to cause you to attack the person you're trying to reach. But recognize it as a diversionary tactic you may not wish to pursue. What about all the hypocrites in the church? Okay, now you want to talk to them about all the hypocrites in the church. Yeah, but that might not have anything to do with where you want to go. And you might just become critical and bitter towards somebody else. And well, people that don't go to church, they're all like, and you're probably a hypocrite too. Okay, you might have just ended your soul with an experience right then. You may be right, but it didn't pay off. That There's no value to it. So you don't even have to tell the truth if telling the truth on certain things is not going to be advantageous. So be careful, be wise, and do right. All righty? Our Father, once again, we thank you for the time together. We do pray, Lord, your will to be done in our lives and help us to be effective. And we don't know, Lord, at what time, what point in our life, some little child, some little teenage girl or boy, or maybe some old tramp on the street might be just the one that we need to reach. Help us to be wise, to be concerned, and just use us for your honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.